Once again, Father, we thank you that we can come here and gather around your word. Father, we thank you for the stories and acts and how they encourage us and how they teach us. We just pray, Father, that this morning as we hear your word, that you will soften our hearts, that you will teach us through your word. Father, we lift up to you, Duncan, as he preaches to us, Father, just help him to uh, listen to your spirit and pray that your spirit will, will teach and uh, speak to each one of us this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you that we can read it here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So just before uh, Jim reads, uh, just a reminder, if you'd like to take your two to five-year-olds out to creche right now, uh, then you're more than welcome to do that. But now we have Jim reading for us. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Oh, no. This is what, we spoke, what, what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will have visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make you, your enemies, a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Great. Thanks, Jim. <clears throat> 
Uh, well, great to see you all this morning. Thanks for being with us. Uh, before we get into the passage and the sermon today, just wanted to also mention that this afternoon we will be gathering again those who are able to at 3.30pm here. So back here at 3.30. Uh, this afternoon's seminar we'll be thinking about guidance in light of the end. Guidance in light of the end. Uh, and so what we'll be doing is thinking about this big picture of God's plan as revealed to us in the Bible and how that shapes the way in which we think about God's guidance of us. Okay, but this whole series, we're thinking about the end of everything. Um, and the really surprising thing we looked at last week is that what the New Testament says, the way that it, it, it says to us, if you're looking for the end, if you're looking for the end, if you're looking for the day of fulfillment of God's promises, and if you're looking for that end in the future, you're looking in the wrong direction. Because the end has already come in Jesus uh, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God was glorified in judgment and salvation. Uh, it, Jesus is the true human person, the second Adam who succeeds where the first Adam failed. He's the true Israel, who, the perfectly obedient son of God. Uh, Jesus is God's place, the true temple, the space where God and humanity meet, where heaven and earth join together. He is the one who is God, present in power with his people and if you've been with us through that, through the uh, time that we've been sort of looking at these things, and if you also have your eyes and your heart open to the reality of life around you, uh, to the reality of your life, you're probably thinking at this point, the end has already come? Really? <laughs> like, really? Uh, the end is God's plans and promises have been, have been fulfilled? Why is this world then so full of pain and suffering? Why did we um, remember just a week ago, a week and a bit ago, the 20th anniversary of 9-11 and all of the death and destruction that came in its wake? Why is this world so full of pain and suffering? Not only this world, but why has my life uh, in, experienced such mess and trouble and darkness and sadness? It's a really big issue. Uh, and it's one that we're going to look at today and next week as well. Uh, and it has to do with what theologians call the overlap of the ages. The overlap of the ages. So uh, the vision of God's history that you get as you read the Old Testament is that there are these two ages, two great ages. This current age, this world that's fallen under sin and in need of rescue from God's, and the age to come. This age that would, bring, that would begin with the day of the Lord, when God would act to bring about his eternal kingdom through his Messiah. So you get these two ages, the current age and the age to come. And, and that's what is being expected when Jesus turns up on the scene. But what he does is something really, really incredible. He, he comes and he upholds this. He, that yes, there are these two ages but the incredible truth he reveals is that these two ages don't come one after the other. Uh, in God's sovereign plan, they overlap each other in Jesus. They overlap each other in Jesus. So hopefully um, there, uh, you can see that up on the screen there. Uh, this day of the Lord did come in Jesus. That this, this new age burst into history, into our world, into this current age. That's groaning under sin. Uh, in, his, in his resurrection, the new creation has already come. It's already come. 
But of course, you and I know that what is true in him, what is true in him, is not yet true in you or in me, in us. It's not yet true in the world as it is today, groaning under the weight of sin. So, uh, what the prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to as this day, this day that would come, uh, Jesus reveals is actually two days, or maybe, maybe better, one day that comes twice. Maybe that's a better way to think about it. And again, it should be on the screen there. Uh, that This day of the Lord is behind us, but it's also ahead of us. I should, I should swap my hands around, shouldn't I? Behind us, but also ahead of us. Match up with the screen. Uh, this day of the Lord. There will come a day when what is now true in Jesus will become true for the whole creation. Uh, when this age will actually come to an end, this present age, and God will make all things new and his kingdom will be all in all. So that future day is what we'll be looking at next week. Uh, what we'll be looking at next week. So come back then. But what about the time in between these two days? What does it mean to live in this overlap of the ages for us in the middle there? Well, the New Testament talks about this time of overlap as the last days. The, the last days. We heard it in the reading uh, that Jim read out for us. Uh, and we'll look at that in a moment. What, what are these last days? Uh, what does it look like for us to live in them between these two comings of Jesus? And the thing that um, the passage today brought out to us from Acts 2 is it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming is like this great marker that these last days are now here. Uh, it's not as if the Spirit wasn't active throughout the Old Testament any more than the Son wasn't active. God is one. Uh, Father, Son and Spirit united in love and in purpose. Uh, but just as the coming of the Son marked this new phase in God's plan, so does the coming of the Spirit. Uh, a key part of that hope of the Old Testament was there would be this time when God's Spirit would be poured out in a new and transforming way. Uh, that's what we read about. Uh, the, uh, that's what the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 was all about. Uh, you might know the story. Not long after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to his Father, that's what we looked at uh, last week, not long after that, his followers are gathered in a room in Jerusalem and all of a sudden this sound of violent wind. Do you like how the, the, the wind blew before as, uh, as Shane was introducing this? Well, it was much more violent even than that. This violent wind fills their ears and, and they see what looks like tongues of fire coming on each other's heads uh, and resting on their heads. And all of them are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other languages, other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's this incredible scene. These guys go outside, uh, and people from all over are there, people from all different nations and speak different languages are there, and they, they hear these guys talking about Jesus in their own language, uh, and they hear the wonders of God, and everyone's kind of confused. They're going, what is going on? They're in awe, especially the, the Jewish people living in Jerusalem. They're, they're, what they're hearing is, is not their the wonders of God in their own language. They're hearing all these other languages being spoke. It sounds kind of like babble to them. But Peter says, stands up and says, it's okay, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Uh, no, this is a, Peter says, this is a key moment in God's plan. This is the moment the prophet Joel spoke about. 
this moment. Um, and uh, this verse will be on the screen, Acts 2, verse 17. In the last days, God said, says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. This great moment that was longed for by the prophets is now here. Jesus has risen and ascended to the Father. And in verse 33, um, Peter says to everyone, he's exalted to the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit. And he, Jesus, has poured it out, poured out what you now see and hear. So this pouring out of the Spirit on this day of Pentecost is like this great sign that the new age has begun. We are living in these last days. Okay, so, so far, so good. All well and good. Um, this amazing thing that happened is recorded for us in the Bible. But what has that got to do with you and me? Well, as you keep reading through the New Testament, you find out that this outpouring of the Spirit isn't just an event in the past. It was that. So this moment of Pentecost was a unique, unrepeatable event in God's salvation history. Uh, but it kicked off this new age where God would be present with his people in a new and powerful way through his spirits. So remember that dilemma that we started with about this tension between what has been achieved and my, my life <laughs> and the world around us? Well, the spirit is God's answer to that dilemma. If God has achieved his end for us in Jesus... In the past, it's not as if God does that and then just leaves us to muddle along on our own. No, he has achieved his good end, his good goal for his creation. He has achieved it for us in the past and he is now achieving it in us by his Holy Spirit. And he will achieve it one day with us on the last day. Uh, Paul puts it like this in this wonderful passage from, from Titus chapter 3. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So the risen and ascended Jesus poured out his spirit and he continues to pour out his spirit in these last days so that God's end, his good goal for his people would be reached within us. Now, we're not going to today be able to have a comprehensive kind of look at the work of the Holy Spirit, but what I want to do is really just focus in on one particular and wonderful work that God's Spirit does. And it's all to do with your identity, with who you are. Uh, so I'm going to need some help to show this, especially from the kids. We're going to play Name That Disney Movie. Okay? Uh, so... I, okay, uh, you, you have to help me out, uh, and what you need to do is listen to the song that I'm going to not sing. I'm going to say the lyrics. You've got to name the Disney movie. Here we go. The wind is howling like this swirling storm inside. 
Ah, you already know it. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. I don't know. What's next? Let it. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Can't hold it back. Let it go. Let it go. Okay, that was an easy one. Frozen. This one's a bit more obscure, and you have to be, uh, be familiar with the older Disney movies for this one. True to your heart, you must be true to your heart. That's when the heavens will part and show the world what you believe in. Open your eyes, your heart can tell you no lies. And when you're true to your heart, then you've got all you need to make it through. No one, no guesses there. What was that? Mulan. Yes, yes, well done. Hey, you know your Disney movies. Yeah, it's the, uh, end, the kind of end song for, for, to Mulan. Well done. I didn't think anyone would get that. But there's this common thread, right? And, you know, you go many other places. Who are you? Oh, you, need, you need to be true to yourself, true, true to your heart. And I, I think Disney, and, you know, it's kind of a reflection of our culture, there's, there's actually something really profound going on there. I think they're onto something quite profound. And the Bible's answer to what it means for you to live in these last days is actually quite similar to that. Be true to who you really are. Live in a way that matches your identity, your true identity. The big question is, though, who are you? What is your true deepest, realist identity at the core of who you are, at rock bottom, who are you? Who are you? Our culture's answer to that is, well, just look within yourself to your heart, to your feelings, to your desires. The Bible gives a much richer, fuller, better answer to that, to that question. Because, see, the reality is your heart, what, is it, what did Mulan say? Your heart can tell you no lies. Well, that is a lie. <laughs> your heart does and will tell you lies. The way to life and peace is not through your fallen heart that is turned in on itself, but the great and wonderful and life-giving work of God by his Spirit is that he makes you a new person. He gives you a new identity. It's not this identity where you lose yourself. It's actually your true self, the person that you were always made to be, your true self. And he does it, the Spirit does this, by joining you to Jesus, by uniting you to him. And this is really key. It's a little bit abstract, but it's really, really important. Um, how would, you, how would you describe being a Christian, I wonder? Maybe you'd say someone who believes in God, believes in Jesus, someone who's made a decision to follow Jesus. There's lots we could say about and, and many more things. What's really interesting is by far the dominant way the New Testament talks about being a Christian is someone who is united to Jesus, someone who is in Christ, someone who is in Christ. If you have your kind of eyes open to that, as in you read through the, especially the Apostle Paul's letters, you'll just see that come up over and over and over again. And one of the great works of God's Spirit in these last days is to unite people to Jesus, 
who is the end. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, for we were all baptised in one spirit into one body. I think I've read a different version for, from what's up there, but it's the same idea. Baptised by one spirit into one body. He's talking about the body of Christ there. So how do you enter this spiritual body of Jesus? How do you, how are you, how do you get united to Jesus? By having the spirit of God poured out on you. Um, now, don't be too freaked out by this idea of spirit baptism uh, that get, Paul talks about here. I, I think it's the, actually the same thing Peter was talking about in Acts 2. We didn't read this part, but if you keep reading Acts 2, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when you turn from your sin, when you repent, and when you turn to Jesus in faith, that is a sure sign that God's wonderful, transforming, life-giving spirit has been poured out on you. You would never have been able to do that otherwise. And so let's just go back to the, the diagram a little bit. Uh, these people in the last days, their identity now is anchored in Christ. If you have heard the gospel, if you have turned from your old self and turned to Christ to trust in him and what he has done for you, then the truest and deepest reality about who you are is that you are someone who is united to Jesus. You are bound to him. And that's, uh, again, it might seem a little bit abstract, but it's super important, really important. Because what that means is the wonder of that is that now everything that is true of him is true of you. What is true of him is now true of you. And there's, uh, there's, you see this in many places. One of the best is this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The new is here. So friends, if you're in Christ, you are already new. Not only that, uh, listen to this verse from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. Uh, we have been made new, we are these new creations in Christ. But Paul says this, not only that, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You, know, you see what Paul's saying there? He doesn't say God will raise and will seat us. He has raised and has seated us in the heavenly realms in some wonderful way that's beyond our ability to grasp. What's true of Jesus is now true of his people, of you, if the Spirit has united you to him by faith. We have died to our old selves. We have been raised with Christ and we are now seated with him. So we are new creations because we're in Christ. That's truth. It's spiritual reality. And yet, and yet, this current age still goes on, does it not? This current age still continues. And that's what creates this tension, this tension that all of us live in. 
in these last days, this tension that marks these last days and will mark it until the last day, until the day of the Lord comes and all things are made new. And the big, basic, the big basic thing that the New Testament says about living well in those last days is this. Know who you are and be true to yourself. <laughs> means something slightly different to how our culture says that. Know who you are and live in line with that reality. Live in line with that reality. You are in Christ. So the path to true, authentic living is not through following your heart, it's through following his heart, being shaped by his spirit more and more into his image while we wait for that final day. So we are already new and we are also being made new. These two things are true at once. We're new in him and we are also being made new. Now, how are we going? I just want to have a bit of a breather and pause for a moment because I want to talk about two errors to avoid when we're thinking about this tension between these two ages, what is already true and what is not yet true, this tension that we all live in. There's two errors uh, that we need to avoid. One is promising too much in this present, in these last days. And the other error is promising too little. So I want to talk about both of those just briefly. Uh, it's possible to bring too much of that future hope into the present, to say that we should expect now what will only be realised then. Uh, so one a common example of this that you may be familiar with is what's called the prosperity gospel, that God's will for you now is health and wealth and success uh, for you to live your best life now. Uh, what, what that does is it takes something that, that has a truth to it. We are raised with Christ, but it doesn't account for the reality of sin and this broken creation that will continue until the coming day. Complete victory, the end to suffering, prosperity, they are all things that belong to the new creation. The New Testament constantly sees life in these last days as characterised actually by suffering. Uh, Jesus' own experience actually becomes this kind of model for us. The cross, before, the cross comes before the resurrection. Uh, and we, we want to sort of jump straight to the resurrection without going through the cross. So friends, uh, that's one error to avoid. And if you don't have a place for patience, perseverance, for suffering for an ongoing struggle with sin in your life, you are probably expecting too much in these last days. The other end of the spectrum, though, is to expect too little in these last days. Uh, to not realise that God really has wonderfully fulfilled his promises and purposes in Christ. That he has poured out his spirit and that that does change life today. So uh, promising too much, um, sometimes you see that in more Pentecostal traditions. Promising too little probably is more familiar to our church tradition, to Reformed evangelicals. Uh, promising too little tends to downplay the transforming work of the Spirit within us. 
Uh, it can tend to focus more on just what's required of you and usually ends with a message of try harder and don't expect too much here and now. But the New Testament is wonderfully optimistic about what God is doing today by his spirit in his word. Uh, it's possible to, to, to expect too little in these last days of the wonderful transforming work of God in your life. So friends, if you've, if you've got to a point where you've sort of just given up on any real change, uh, you just sort of uh, um, given up on God's ability to do anything about your, the mess of your life or change you or help you in that sin, if you have little to no experience of God's love or joy or peace in your life, then it's possible you're expecting too little as opposed to expecting too much. Okay, so what I want to do, I think they're kind of two sort of extremes to avoid uh, and there's this wide sort of paddock in the middle that we can um, enjoy in these last days, living in the light of what has been done and in, what, in the light of what will be done in the future. So friends, we are new, really. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come and we are being made new, really, changed day by day into the image of our king. Uh, you get this great image of this uh, in C.S. Lewis's book, The Dawn Treader. People are familiar with this book, The Dawn Treader. Um, really, uh, if you haven't read the Narnia series, really encourage you to do that. Um, there's this kid called Eustace Scrub. The Dawn Treader has the best opening line, I think, of any book. He says something like, uh, there once was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub and he almost deserved it. I just love that opening line. Uh, Eustace is uh, a nasty, entitled, spoilt kid. Uh, and at one point, he becomes so entranced by this dragon's gold that he, turns into, he himself turns into a dragon. Um, anyway, the story goes on. Aslan, who's the Jesus figure in the story, he comes to Eustace, he leads him up a mountain to a garden uh, and a big pool of water. He tells Eustace to take off his dragon skin and go into the water. And, and Eustace starts scratching off his skin. He takes layers and layers off of his dragon skin. And he just can't, no, no matter how many times he does it, he can't get rid of it. No matter how hard he tries, he can't get rid of it. He's still a dragon. And at, at last, Aslan tells Eustace to lie down. Uh, and that he will take off the dragon skin. And this is what, how Eustace describes it when he's writing his journal. You read it in this book. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done. And there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker, darker, more knobbly looking than the others had been. And he threw me into the water. And after that, I turned into a boy again. After a bit, the lion took me out and dressed me. Uh, and Eustace goes back to the others and he confesses his sin to them. He says, I'm afraid I've, in a classic English way, I'm, I'm, a, I'm afraid I've been pretty beastly. Then Lewis writes, writes this. This is really, I think, quite profound. It would be nice, uh, fairly nearly true, to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. 
To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. The cure had begun. I think it's this great image of the new life that is ours through the Spirit in Jesus. Eustace, he, he was made new by Aslan. The dragon was killed. Eustace went through the waters of baptism, I think, and rose up new, and he was clothed by Aslan himself. But there were relapses. The old Eustace still made himself known. But the cure had begun, and it would never be reversed. Well, friends, one of the richest places the New Testament uh, talks about this is in Colossians 3, and I know that many of us have meditated on this um, passage in home groups this week. Uh, uh, I want to finish, basically, by reading this passage out from Colossians 3. And as I read it out, I want to encourage you to hear from the Apostle Paul the truth about who you are if you are in Christ. The truth about who you can be if you are not yet a Christian, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus, if the Spirit has not yet given you new life. The truth about who you can be if you will just come to him. Uh, Friends, I want to encourage you just to hear and receive and rejoice in that truth and reality. And then I want to encourage you to notice the conflict in these verses, the conflict between your new self and your old one, and to consider for yourself what it might look like for you to be true to your new self, to be transformed more and more into who you really are in Christ, to live more and more in line with that reality until the day when what is true in him and what is becoming true in us will be completely true for the whole world in the new creation that Jesus will bring about. So enough from me. Let's hear from the Apostle Paul, and I'll finish with this. Words will be on the screen. Feel free to read, you know, to read or, or just to close your eyes, and as I read it, let it wash over you. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, 
anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I pray for us. Oh, our Father, one time we were in darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. We have been raised with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. So we ask, Lord, that you might help us to live in line with who we really are, to put to death all of these things that belong to our old life and to clothe ourselves with Christ and all that is his. Thank you that we are your people, chosen, holy, dearly loved. Make us gracious, compassionate, gentle and patient, forgiving. Help us to live in love together. And may your peace rule in our hearts. May your message dwell richly among us here in our church family. Help us to be those who bring this message to one another. Give us gratitude in our hearts, we pray. And until the day when you return, and you are all in all, and every knee will bow to you, we pray that you might continue, please, to do this work. And we know there's so much work to do in each of us. So we ask by your spirit, through your word, that you might be doing that every day uh, until the day you return. And we pray that in Jesus' wonderful name.
Amen. Amen. Dion is now going to bring us our church prayers, uh, and at the end we'll all say the Lord's Prayer together. Thanks, Dion. Our Almighty God and Father, we humbly come before you today to worship you. As St. Augustine prayed, O God, our true life, to know you is true life, true freedom. To enjoy you is a kingdom. To praise you is the joy and happiness of the soul. We praise and bless and adore you. We worship you. We glorify you. We give thanks to you for your great glory. We humbly beg you to live with us, to reign in us, to make these hearts of ours holy temples fit habitation for your divine majesty. Dear Lord, we ask you to help us share your gospel message with our community. Please prosper our personal evangelism through the Christianity Explored and Life Explored courses. Father, please bless and prosper the work of the Roe and Davis families as they tell of you um, and work for the Church Missionary Society in South Africa and Tanzania. We thank you, Lord, for the Trinity Church Network. We thank you for the way Holy Trinity has had the vision to plant churches and support them as they grow. We thank you for all the support they have given us over the years and for the Mount Barker Church too for their support. Today we ask you especially to bless the churches at Hove, Golden Grove and Unley. We ask too that we will have in mind the plant we hope to make at Goolwa and be praying for that to happen. Dear Father, please bless and heal any of our family here who are unwell. Be especially close to any who are feeling sad or lonely or that life is very hard. Lord, we thank you for the message from your word that Duncan brings us so faithfully each week. Please give him the wisdom and insight he needs to do this task weekly. Bless Miriam and children as they support him. Pardon me. Please bless all the different ministries in our church which make us a caring and committed family working to be faithful Christians. We pray too, Lord, that you will encourage a thirst in the community for your word and that we will have more local people join us. And to finish these words from a passage in Colossians 1. May he strengthen you in his glorious might with ample power to meet whatever comes with fortitude, patience and joy. And to give thanks to the Father who has made you fit to share the heritage of God's people in the realm of light. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.